The information on aging better in uncertain times is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified health provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition. Medical cannabis. What exactly is it? How much do you require? Does it really work? Which applications should be made to the treatments you may require with the health issues that you have? We have about 3.7 million Canadians, 10% of the population, that have said, you know, we're willing or we're using cannabis on a daily basis to self-manage, self-medicate for various conditions, whether it's anxiety, whether it's sleep, whether it's pain, whether it's depression. And so, you know, it's already in use. The actual definitive evidence is not going to happen tomorrow, but we need to help our public move forward in terms of figuring this out. Hi folks, I'm Gord Martineau, and welcome to another in our continuing series of Aging Better in Uncertain Times. This special educational series is supported by Medical Cannabis by Shoppers Drug Mart. For more information on understanding cannabis, visit cannabis.shoppersdrugmart.ca. People are asking more and more about medical cannabis because they're considering medical cannabis as a possible alternative to the medications they're currently taking and possibly in the future when they may require certain medications. Joining us today, Dr. Hans Clark. Dr. Clark is the Director of Pain Services and the Pain Research Unit at Toronto General Hospital. He's very well known internationally in medical circles. He's addressed conferences on medical issues many, many times internationally, even speaking to the full House of Commons. Dr. Clark, welcome today. Morning, Gord. Pleasure to be here. Thank you. And so what are your views on, let's say, medical cannabis as an alternative to opioids? Now, the opioids crisis, as you know, has destroyed families and taking many lives. So do you see medical cannabis as an alternative to opioids? Um, you know, when we're looking at our opioid crisis, and as you know, 80% of those that are, that are overdosing or having fatalities as a, as, a console, as a result of the opioid crisis are typically consuming illicit opioids and or co-administering other medications or alcohol, benzodiazepines, etc. And so when you look at the, you know, the cannabis or medical cannabis uh, as a potential to help with some of the reduction in your opioid use or to treat specific conditions, there certainly is a signal there towards it being able to do that. Will it be useful for everyone? Probably not. And we're really working hard to get the science and the data to support those it will help. We have many patients that we've seen reductions in their opioid use um, with appropriate uh, you know, help from their practitioners in terms of integrating this into their, in, into their regimen, certainly. Well, this leads into another question that you kind of touched on there. And at the end of your answer, is it possible to use medical cannabis in concert with medications or opioids that people are currently taking? Can you blend both with the eventual aim of weaning people off opioids, which are highly addictive, as you know? Right. And I want to touch on something you said early, Gord, which was as an alternative to their medication. The one thing I want to caution your viewers about is experimenting on their own, starting a cannabis product and stopping the medications they're on. We're seeing some of that happening and that's not a, uh, a sound plan for one, you know, from a safety perspective. And you've been on some medications for some time for a reason. 
If you have the appropriate guidance and we can introduce this product into some of your regimens, absolutely we can move towards reducing your benzodiazepines, reducing your opioids. What is cannabis? It is an ultimate central nervous system depressant. And most of the medications we use in pain you know, for uh, multiple chronic conditions are exactly that. So it makes sense that you can add something and help reduce another, but that has to be really done in concert with your physician. Let me bring in Aras Azadian into this discussion. Now, you probably know Aras. He's utilized his extensive experience in senior management in both financial and biotechnology sectors. Now, Aras founded Avicana, and the view that he has is a vision toward establishing a biopharmaceutical company with a strict focus on medical cannabis and the applications of such. Aras, thank you very much for joining us today. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Now, you know, Dr. Clark, and I'm supposing that because of your studies and his studies as well in pain management, that leads you to perhaps the fact that medical cannabis could be used as an alternative to opioids. So on, on our end, our focus is more so on ensuring that we can provide standardized medicine in the form of cannabis or in the form of cannabinoids uh, as essentially a toolkit for physicians like Dr. Clark, you know, to, to provide them with what we call a formulary so that they could as Dr. Clark was mentioning, include, potentially include these products in the regiment of patients for particular unmet needs. Uh, for us, we're, we're a bit more broad, where it's more general than just chronic pain, but we're certainly seeing efficacy in, uh, at least from an anecdotal level, from patients that are leveraging off of these products for particular, for particular uh, ailments. And in some cases, I imagine that may have the benefit of weaning off opioids. But I leave that part of the discussion to the physicians. Our job is just to make sure that we give them the toolkit. Now, I know you're intensively involved in research studies, and you've done very, very many of them. Now, what are the conclusions that you've obtained so far? What have the studies revealed? So considering that this industry is in, in very, very early stages, uh, the earlier studies and the earlier work we did as an R&D company has been, again, on focusing on delivering the cannabinoids in a more consistent, stable, and more accurate way. And a lot of the studies were focused on that, is delivering the products, whether it's a topical for dermatology or it's a it's an oral or sublingual for systemic absorption so we, we've gone through the process of delivering these products and have effectively demonstrated the efficacy and the potential that these specific products have in particular comorbidities symptom clusters or actual clinical indications and as dr clark mentioned earlier we're starting to see positive signals in the areas including chronic pain but we're seeing it in other areas again including dermatology so there, there's, I think, a lot of uh, utility that we're going to be able to demonstrate over the short term. And I, I believe on the medical or pharmaceutical side, the benefits of cannabis are still relatively in very early stages. So let's bring in our in-house medical expert, and that is Dr. Fabio Verlesi. Dr. Verlesi is the chief of medicine at Runnymede Hospital, and he has extensive experience as well in geriatric medical applications. Dr. Varlese, you've looked at the medical cannabis as an alternative to current treatments. What are your opinions on it, and what do you tell your clients if they do start asking you these questions? Well, certainly in the aging population, medical cannabis is becoming very popular. With geriatrics, we're dealing with a population that has a huge uh, history of comorbidities. They're already on 10, 15, 20 drugs. Uh, for multiple medical conditions. And uh, continuously, we receive um, patients that are asking about medical cannabis, uh, and many of them have the perception that it is 
the alternative to uh, many of the other standardized drugs that they're using uh, every day. Um, now, while theoretically this is definitely uh, something that has huge potential, and um, as our guests have been saying continuously, um, that medical cannabis still needs to go through a lot of research. It needs, uh, we have products, medical products out there that haven't been standardized. There's an assumption in the general public that medical cannabis has the characteristics of a pill. But pills are much more um, defined. Um, there's a molecule that has an action mechanism and it works in a specific area, perhaps in the brain, in other areas, in other organs. Um, medical cannabis, you know, the product is much more complex uh, the way it's manufactured is absolutely different uh, and uh, uh, therefore we're dealing with a lot of uh, um, sort of uncertainties and hence there is the the need uh, to undergo all of these studies and we you know put things in perspective for patients uh, a lot of doctors today are not well versed in medical cannabis and uh, there's many many courses that doctors are going through um, in the various universities just to get a better understanding. Many of them have to refer to specialized pain clinics. Uh, and um, But we try to put things in perspective for our patients. Dr. Clark, one of the challenges, as you know, is figuring out the dosage that a person must take in order to address their specific ailment. I mean, you know, the weight of the person, their age, their condition. How do you go about suggesting or overcoming the challenges that exist when you look at a patient and you go, okay, uh, how much of a dosage do we require for this person? How do you do that? Gord, it's a great question. I just want to, before I answer that, I just want to touch on what Fabio mentioned in terms of the knowledge uh, required to, to actually guide patients and, and the limitations to that uh, in the existing physician um, uh, kind of landscape. And so, uh, I have recently uh, become a member of the Consortium for the Investigation for Cannabinoids in Canada, and that we have worked on about a two-and-a-half-year continuing medical education module for those physicians that are interested. They know they have patients that may benefit, and they don't know how to start. And so we put together the, the top basic scientists across the world, actually, uh, to create this education module for physicians. And so with that, we then move into, okay, how do we dose this? And so, you know, how do we actually... Um, uh, get a patient to a place where they either see benefit or they don't. And so, you know, we just finished a trial that I think is important uh, where we enrolled about a thousand patients across Ontario. This, is, this was ongoing for about three or four years and it was just published in the Canadian Journal of Anesthesia. And what we found were that about the 757 patients that started the journey and, and, and went down the road of using a cannabis product or a cannabinoid medicine product, that at six months, one third of them were still using the product. And so when you look at that number, clearly there is a signal there. Show me any drug that, you know, Fabio or myself or a physician starts on a patient where you get more than a 30% uptake and you probably have a wonder drug. So there's a signal there. How do we dose this? And so this is where the difference in the cannabis products today compared to the pills that Fabio are talking about, there is a real difference. If I were to prescribe something where, where it has gone through all of the preclinical data, I could say, here's the starting dose, here's how we increase. With these medical cannabis products, it's very important that the patient and the physician have patience 
okay? Because we actually have to do this slowly, ensure we don't see those psychological and the psychotropic effects that everyone's uh, worried about. CBD may be helpful for some people, but quite often if you're dealing with a pain condition, you may need some amount of THC as part of dealing with whatever those uh, symptoms are that you're trying to, to, to treat. And so, over time, you start low, you build slowly. We have now published some guidelines in terms of how you would even implement these products in terms of opioid meaning. So that was published in late last year, if not early January of this year. And we have another one that should be forthcoming in terms of integrating this into a chronic pain population. So it's out there. It's just a matter of getting that information to more physicians. And, and that is one of the barriers to patients accessing these medications for sure. Aras, you've looked into the situation, and as well, you know that experimenting with THC and how much you might blend with CBD as an effective treatment for something, and is this an avenue you think is worth pursuing? Uh, so absolutely. On the on the preclinical side or even on the clinical side, we're always trying to identify what is the appropriate dose, but what is also the appropriate ratio. There, there is particular clinical pathologies that we believe high CBD without THC has efficacy, but to Dr. Clark's point, you you often need some ratio of THC for a lot of these comorbidities or a lot of these clinical indications that we're targeting. And what's important on the dosing side is to actually provide an accurately dosed product. So making sure that per spray, per pill, per drop, you know exactly what that dose is. And again, the challenge in the industry has been companies trying to be everything to everyone. So recreational focused companies also selling medical cannabis creates several conflicts there because on the recreational side people are looking for high thc products while on the medical side you know offering having offerings where you do have different ratios again will give the physicians the formulary or the toolkit that they could start with something lighter you know they can start with something that has a lower dose of thc and titrate up dr verlazy i mean when you speak to your clients your patients and and they question you about medical cannabis you know they may say to you look i'm just not here to get high, I'm not going to take this stuff. So I don't want the psychoactive ingredient in any medical treatments that I might take. Do you allay those fears and say, look, this is not going to, you know, affect you in that manner? Or how do you set their fears aside and say, it's okay, you know, if you got a blend of THC and CBD, it's okay to take this? So most of the reasons why we see uh, patients uh, um, in geriatrics, um, tend to be for symptom management and many of our patients suffer from depression, anxiety, insomnia, uh, issues related to, uh, um, you know, appetite, etc. So we carefully look at, you know, the product uh, to see if we could match uh, um, with the specific need they have. And that is a decision that, as mentioned before, is very much dependent on the knowledge of the clinician. And as I said before, many clinicians are still, you know, really getting to learn um, the the complex world of medical cannabis, to be honest, because um, up until a couple of years ago, it wasn't even part of the regular training of doctors. And now I'm hoping to see more and more of it in, in the standardized and core curriculum. Um, and as mentioned by Hans, um, you know, there's new uh, programs, uh, educational programs for them. So really, uh, you know, we look at the patient, every patient is unique. Um, every patient has specific needs uh, and a very 
many times very complex medical backgrounds, and we try to tailor the specific product to their need. And we're always cautious, obviously, about uh, the percentage of THC, which is the psychoactive uh, you know, component of medical cannabis, and we look at products that um, you know, take that into consideration. But it is a very delicate process because they may be on already medications such as antidepressants, um, tranquilizers, antipsychotics, um, you know, all sorts of medications that are already managing these symptoms. So it is a very complex um, uh, uh, situation whenever we are considering medical cannabis for our patients. Dr. Clark, do you experience any level of frustration? And I know your studies are ongoing and you'd like to be able to take another step forward in your research and, and then bring the applications to market, as it were. Are you encountering any kind of slowness or trepidation on the part of the federal authorities in studies that you're doing or, or the experiments that you're doing? Gord, I live in the world of frustration right now. I can tell you that um, there is no doubt things are moving uh, much slower than we would like. Um, you know, when we look at what we think is coming next, and, and hopefully we do think there are changes coming to these limitations that have pretty much handcuffed an industry that has been created, but not given us the ability to actually do the science needed to, you know, move this forward. And so there are so many misconceptions, you know, we are dealing with generational misconceptions. And one of the things when you, when you hear, you know, Dr. Varlazy speak is, you know, not uh, an important concept for the, for the listenership is that not all cannabis is weed. And we still have this association that if you're consuming cannabis, you're consuming a joint that will make you high. And that all comes back to the amount of THC in the compositions of these products. And so we all know there are thresholds. I often say, you know, uh, Dr. Vailazi spoke about uh, tranquilizers or antipsychotics. If I were to give someone 30 milligrams of Haldol, which is quite commonly used at 2 milligrams or 3 milligrams, they would be floridly psychotic, even though it's an antipsychotic. And so, you know, when we think about what we're doing with this molecule, we're at the ground stages here of figuring out what those thresholds are, what the lower, lowest amounts are, as we do with most medications before you tip over into the side effects. And so understanding that it's a process, it is certainly something that has been around for decades and patients have been talking about this for decades. We just need the help to move the science forward. And unfortunately, we're a bit handcuffed right now. And so we hope that's changing. I will share with you, you know, when we did a, we did a, a, a quick overview of patients coming in for arthroplasty in, in our institutions here at UHN. And one in five individuals, when we surveyed 600 patients that came in for their knee or hip arthroplasty, said we are using cannabis for our osteo, osteoarthritic pain. Let's think about that. So, you know, now we ask them, what product are you using? One third of them didn't know what product they were using. One third of them didn't actually get it from a licensed, regulated uh, format, which would enable you to get it in the mail. So we have one fifth of patients treating a serious medical condition, and many of your patients out there will have osteoarthritis that are listening to this. And the first thing I would tell them is please head down the path of trying to um, get a product that has been validated and reliable and then move from there in terms of how you integrate it into your regimen. Time now for Dr. Fabio Varlisi's prescription for aging better. 
And Dr. Verlese, what we've learned today is a number of things. There are intensive studies underway, a lot of research and development. And similarly, Dr. Verlese, I mean, you have clients coming to you and saying, look, I'm not going to smoke a joint or I'm not going to do that. You try and sell them on the idea that, look, you don't have to. There's so many different ways of taking medical cannabis. I would say that our patients um, come in very cautiously uh, asking the questions. Many of them would love to ask, you know, uh, get into details about uh, the, the use. Many of them don't disclose that they're using, which makes it much more complicated for us when we're managing their various uh, symptoms and medical conditions. Um, it's, I really um, you know, suggest that all physicians should start being a bit more proactive in the questioning um, because, as mentioned before, uh, many of them may be making use uh, of products through dispensaries. These are not medically, um, you know, sort of medical products, and therefore it becomes very, very difficult uh, to deal and to manage patients that don't disclose or are not open enough to talk about it. The information on aging better in uncertain times is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified health provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition. Questions for the Aging Better team can be sent by email to info at agingbetter.ca or by visiting our website, agingbetter.ca. Aging Better in Uncertain Times and this special educational series is supported by Medical Cannabis by Shoppers Drug Mart. For more information on understanding cannabis, visit cannabis.shoppersdrugmart.ca. Until next time, I'm Gord Martinell with Dr. Fabio Varlesi, along with producers Dominic Schulo and David Sersta. Be well and stay safe. Aging Better in Uncertain Times, an educational profile on understanding medical cannabis with Aras Azadian, the Chief Executive Officer of Avacana. Today we have medical cannabis products that are already commercial. And these are products that have taken the pharmaceutical sort of drug development process that we have taken. We're ensuring these products are standardized, consistent, accurately dosed, and they're offered in various non-inhalation deliveries. And on that stage, the R&D is complete, the products are commercial. In parallel with that, we are proceeding and we're in a number of preclinical, clinical and observational trials in which we're trying to establish the evidence needed for the medical community and the physicians to be comfortable to prescribe these specific products. And in that case, we're looking at rare skin diseases such as epidermolysis bullosa, we're looking at osteoarthritis, we're looking at epilepsy, and we're also looking at chronic pain. Aras, you're not the only player in the game in terms of research and development. What separates Avakana from the other people more or less doing the same things you are? I believe we're one of the only ones that is actually vertically integrated in that we are cultivating, extracting, purifying the cannabinoids. We are then leveraging off of our own formulations and our own clinical development. So we have developed, I think, a scientific platform in addition to a vertical integration. And all of that is coupled with something that I think is truly unique to cannabis for a biopharmaceutical company, which is our ability to sell the products and commercialize today under the medical cannabis regimen, which actually is beneficial for us because of course we're generating revenue, but we're also learning a lot. We're learning how to educate the physicians, we're learning how to educate the patients, 
We're learning at an observational level what kind of products are most suitable for, for patients, and that actually increases the probability of success of our clinical trials. For more information on understanding cannabis, visit cannabis.shoppersdrugmart.ca.